Survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 20 and in this edition we're adding a third chapter to our profile series with a look at the few but meaty appearances of one Sherry Birkin. My name is Siniac, you can just call me Sai, and joining me on the panel this week, batting 20 for 20 on the First Aid Spray podcast and an equal amount of success streaming knife-only runs of the Resident Evil 2 remake, it's Firebutton Steve Valance. Hey, hello everybody. And our special guest this week, a long-time member and contributor to the Resident Evil fan community. If you read a fan-made timeline in the early to mid-2000s, it was probably his. Since then, he's gone on to be a permanent member of the Resident Evil podcast panel. It's Sean Hall, aka Stars Tyrant. Hello, everybody. How are we doing? This episode of the podcast, like all others, was recorded live in our Discord server. Join now to hear the podcast early and unedited, as well as engage with our community, contribute to the show and other upcoming projects, and be informed first of everything going on behind the scenes. You can find a link to the server in the description of this podcast or on our social media accounts. You can also support the show on Patreon for as little as $1 a month with various tiers, each with their own perks. Check out patreon.com forward slash FA Spray Pod for a full list and the chance to create bonus first aid spray content. So, a little bit of housekeeping at the top of the show. Uh, we dived around this last episode because we had quite a lot to get through, but it is worth mentioning. So I'm going to try and get through this as neatly as possible. So, always starting off with the latest Patreon shout-outs. Thank you to Zachary Maguire. Thank you to Lewis Rogers. Thank you to James Payne. Thank you to Lawrence Knott. And thank you to Mikey Russell for supporting the show. It means everything. Uh, those guys are now able to listen to our Dino Crisis 2 uh, bonus episode that came out Patreon exclusive. There's a month's worth of exclusivity there and it's going to go public on the 19th of March, around that time at least. And later on this month we'll be recording our second bonus episode which is all about the original Silent Hill game as voted on by Patreon supporters. So that'll be going up for Patreon supporters for a month and then as usual everyone publicly will get it from then on. So that's on the, in the pipeline as well as uh, several YouTube videos. We've always got stuff coming out. We're really hitting our stride with it now. So if you haven't subscribed to us on YouTube, you should. We've got a brand new URL. Uh, it's youtube.com forward slash first aid spray podcast. It's not quite uh, uniform with everything else because, you know, YouTube just have to be awkward. But uh, yeah, we've been putting out consistent stuff there. Most recent videos looking at characters we'd like to make a comeback. Uh, some overlooked games in the series coming out very soon. Uh, look at the evolution of how zombies have behaved across the series as well. So there's always stuff going on there and there's plenty more to come as well. And also on top of everything else we have now made our way over to Twitch finally kind of out of the blue in fact. So you can follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash FA Spray Pod. As I just mentioned there Steve has been playing Remake 2 Knife Only Runs and recently been playing Director's Cut Advance Mode. Uh, James has been playing Remake 1 and Remake 2 solo by himself for the first time and I am playing Silent Hill right now in preparation for that bonus episode because I've never actually played the original Silent Hill so it's been a pretty cool experience. So with all that out of the way let's circle back around to what we're here to do today uh, and introduce properly our guest Mr. Stars Tyrant. Many of you will know who he is. We definitely got a crossover between our two shows. I've seen people who started out as first aid spray discord server members popping over there to the Resident Evil podcast server as well and vice versa definitely so it's cool to properly extend that bridge uh, so stars why don't you start with sort of the question I always like to ask guests is where did you start with Resident Evil and uh, kind of why why it connected with you so much that you're still a fan all these years later 
Well, that that's a long story when you've got, <laughs> got like nearly two decades under mm. well, no more than two decades under your belt. So I started the series getting the Saturn version in December 1997, and um, really just hit it off. And it and it it back in the sort of back then before the story took over, it was mainly sort of the atmosphere and the experience of playing. A quite a cinematic game but it, i wouldn't say the love truly started and as anyone who has listened to uh you know the podcast i'm on or seen any of my streams or follow me on twitter resident evil 2 was where it sort of made it for me the, the storytelling in that game i still reference this day as a turning point um 1998 was a very special year for gaming and i think resident evil 2 was one of the sort of leaders of that with its just ridiculously dazzling production value um and then it kind of went on to join in the community in 2002. I joined uh, the forums on a site that's known, now known as Rely on Horror. It was RE Horror at the time. And uh, I eventually worked on what was the timeline, which was one of the first sort of attempts at piecing together in a chronological order all the files, all the events and everything in the series. And then uh, around just before Resident Evil 5 came out, that relationship broke down, which I won't go into, but it, it, it ended with me sort of departing that site and sort of giving up on the timeline. And then I sort of went dormant for a few years until I heard what was at the time the Project Umbrella podcast, begged Nick, who I knew as Neptune from uh, my RE Horror days, to let me on in a guest role, to which they did. And then that's kind of where we are today. Yeah, now a permanent member of that panel, and I know this conversation came up on that server quite recently. Um, somebody mentioned that sort of when you joined and uh, when Romby joined, that's when it felt like, you know, really started to hit your stride over there. I completely agree with that. Like, you guys have definitely become a unit in the same way that I feel like we sort of maybe had the first shaky few episodes, but it, it came together. Um, but yeah, it's crazy to think, you know, with the podcast now, which obviously I discovered that podcast several years ago mm. i think completely by happenstance um I'd, i've been sort of in and out of the community myself for many many years like now more so than ever obviously um but I, we probably bumped into each other on those websites back in the day that <laughs> now and then i would have been much younger uh, i definitely remember reading the timeline and stuff like that so it's it's really weird to think that we've sort of been on the periphery of each other <laughs> for all this time um, but it's a very special time for the Resident Evil community with stuff like Discord and with Twitter being so active as it is uh, for everyone to sort of reconnect or make new uh, partnerships through that as well. Yeah, I definitely feel Discord's really changed the sort of landscape for the community because Resident Evil is such a sort of in-depth story game. It was always um, sort of right at home on forums to be mm. able to, you know, spend a, a long time typing out a really eloquently worded like law breakdown. And I do feel that Discord's taken some of that away, but at the same time, it's so much more immediate, so much more, um, you know, inclusive of everybody. Right, everyone yeah. can just sort of get mucked in and and just chat about anything. Um, I know, I know. There's a lot of people who get intimidated by the law, and I think sometimes when they used to go on like these big forum posts from the likes of like, you know Batman and Newsbot, they would think, "God, how can I possibly contribute?" And I think Discord's broke down those walls a little bit and invited mm. so many more people in. And I think that's that is a positive. As much as I think well, I'll miss the the forum aspect of the community, like this is this has been a, a more than adequate replacement. Like you know, the future of discords and these, like I say, these more interactive channels. Like you can do a live podcast like this and get everybody included. I think that's really good. 
Yes, absolutely. I have a very hazy memory of the forums. Like I say, I was much younger. I don't know if I was necessarily looking at big law breakdowns so much as like caption competitions. That's the thing oh, I yeah. remember the most. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a crazy time. And I know, obviously, we don't like to do this too much as this goes out recorded as well. But shout out to the chat, everyone turning up today. Uh, it's very cool to see. A shout out to you guys. And also I want to do a shout out. Speaking of the community, we are graced with another guest in, of a sort in this episode. Um, so to give a little bit of a history on it, our profile episodes, the first one we did was about Rebecca and we were lucky enough to stumble across the fact that the strategy guide for the game had some sort of Rebecca perspective kind of pieces that we we kind of took them and said, well, we'll just make them the file readings, get a, an actress to record that. And that was really cool. With our Barry episode, he's he's written a file himself, so we'll, we'll take that and something else from Rev2. But it was a real struggle to get something from Sherry. Um, and then I had the light bulb one day and I approached Distant Memories 1996, who has kindly written some long, longer form pieces for us. So they are longer file readings in this episode, but they're completely original from Distant Memories. So a special shout out to him for the hard work he put into putting them, uh, something very special for this particular episode. So uh, we will talk, be talking about Sherry very, very soon. But first, the major part, you know, I'm sure everyone's waiting to hear what we have to say about what's going on in the news. Okay then, everybody. So, there was no news. No, <laughs> uh, no um, Capcom have acknowledged that there is going to be a demo soon. No confirmed date as of yet. And there is, I think it's expanded a bit more since, because we've actually had streams. But there's been a 30-minute gameplay. And, uh, well, now Catastrophe, and I believe mm. the, uh, the Japanese community guys have also done a stream of Resident Evil 3. I think it's like the street or the opening section. Right, it's hard exactly to tell where it is, but apparently it's not the from the demo, this uh, this sort of stream that we saw recently this week, and w which is where all the gameplay footage has come from the same section of the game. Um, so it's our first time sort of seeing the game in action. Um, so there's quite a lot to dissect here. I mean, I don't quite know where to start, so I'm, I, let's just go around the room. Like the most striking thing to me was seeing some of the enemies, um, seeing the Drain Demos back, or, well, albeit slightly differently. I was very excited to see those character, uh, those creatures redesigned and to get the nod. I don't, I'm not quite sure. I wasn't expecting to be cut or anything, but I suppose I was quite hesitant to see how they'd be approached because they're quite overlooked. They're quite minimalist in Resident Evil 3. Almost, I almost want to say forgettable in Resident Evil 3, really. They don't have the same presence that the Licker and the Hunter have from the first two games. Um, but, but they, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Uh, and, and, Obviously, we've got plenty of Nemesis as well. Uh, Stars, what was the most striking thing from you from the most recent sort of selection of gameplay footage? Um, I think it's just it's so great to see Jill in this environment as well because she's been a bit um, a bit unloved for the last few years, I mm -hmm. think. And I think um, partic particularly when Kat sort of showed off the, the character model yesterday, I just thought she looked absolutely exquisite. Um, and I... And, like I've, I've said in a, in a few videos and on Twitter, I'm a very I'm in a very different place with this one to where I was with Resident Evil 2. With Resident Evil 2, I was just met with fear and worry over like potential damage it was going to do to the cannon. And now I think many of us have sort of adopted it. It's a kind of side cannon, so that's kind of okay. Mm. Um, I'm sort of all for that. I'm all for it with this one to just go crazy with changing everything. So I was like, um, I'm actually quite impressed with how far they seem to have gone with the changes. I'm not too hot on some of the enemy redesigns. 
I think it, as, as as nice as it is to see like the Drain Demos put back in it, I really hope we get to see like a bigger bipedal one because it was always more interesting that, that way, I, I feel. But as a redesign and a remake, in many ways it looks totally different, mm. but in other ways it feels very, very much a unique a unique spin on that game in a way that Resident Evil 2 wasn't. And I, I don't really know how to say that, what I'm trying to, how it is in my head at the minute. But like Resident Evil Two, at times felt a little bit safe right, up until yeah. the minute it up until the minute it wasn't, and then I feel they changed too much. Whereas this feels like it has like the DNA of Resident Evil Three that's still recognisable, but doing it an entirely different spin. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. Definitely with RE Two remake, when you look back at it, it's, there's a lot of whiplash there almost, where it, it is very clearly just just a HD built from the ground up remake of RE2. Um, it does play it safe. And then there's sudden moments where it goes wildly different. Whereas this, yeah, you started with the DNA, but you've built it intentionally to be its own thing from the ground up. Uh, Steve, for you, what was the big takeaway? Uh, well, uh, can we talk about the star of the show? Um, you sure. Yeah. That's super jump. All right. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that, uh, the entire combat with Nemesis, the, the way he's running, the way he's... he's he literally is a relentless nightmare. I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah. The the Drain Demos, as we all touched on, they, they feel like they've... I mean, have they 100% confirmed the spiders are in? Because it feels like they've halfway housed somewhere between a Drain Demos, a spider, and a Chimera. They're just basically going, let's take a little bit of yeah, this. Yeah, they've, they've not but mentioned it, it outright. You know... <laughs> Uh, I mean, the whole, what is it, they, they implant you and you have to get rid of it or you're going to chest burst thing. That's that's definitely something new. I mm. don't know how true that is, but that would give them a unique thing. Like, for example, hunters are fond of decapitations, lickers have a tongue. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I can get behind making them a bit more unique. I mean, it wasn't until recently the entire community went, oh, God, they have babies mm. in the original game. Um, I yeah. wonder if these are the babies that we're seeing, and I, I, I'm, I'm hoping... Like Sean said, that there is a bigger, scarier mama one, like a fully yeah, grown. Yeah. I think that's very possible because this is, you know, this section of the game that you're seeing them in, in in this display that we've had is clearly a nest. So it's very possible that there's going to be something extra going on there. It so may well Demos Queen. Yeah, it may have well be a boss fight or something. Yeah, maybe yeah. so. That's that's a way to bring another boss fight into RE3, which you know it sorely needs. Um, I mean that too. I mean, admittedly, it's still Nemesis, but he's uh, he's he's got terrible accuracy with it. But he does have a flamethrower, and it looks to be some <laughs> yeah. kind of a good throwdown there. Um, that obviously is entirely new. It seems to be on the rooftop, so maybe it's the final battle where you shoot him and he falls off and dies. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, so the umbrella corpse. Uh, umbrella <laughs> corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I can imagine the outcry right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, dear. Yeah. I- I will say that I'm quite impressed with how locked down the game is. Because um, like, if anyone watched Kat's stream, the 30-minute sort of uh, demo she did, it was mm. very locked down in what she was allowed to show. And indeed, like you know, she went up to the entrance to the pharmacy, um, but what you know wasn't allowed to sort of go in and show us it. And mm. and I think that's pretty good because you know the the one sort of big takeaway you can take from that footage Kat showed was there was the hint of the clock tower and the. Yes. Um, and the city hall gem puzzle. So it, it, I think that's a kind of way of saying these areas are in the game, but you're not going to get a chance to see them now. And I think if they can keep as much of the game locked down, I think that'll be great because 
people people just want to see too much in the promo now. You know, I'm not even sure I want the demo to be honest because mm. I'm just so worried I'm, it's going to get data mined to hell. Yeah, exactly. that's the worry, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, you need to curate it or something. Like you know, go through it. I don't know how difficult that will be, but you basically pull everything they can out of the demo to make it still functional. Yeah, um, it's worth saying, actually. I meant to say it at the sort of top of the show, actually. I completely forgot, but might as well say it now. Um, we're going to try and go spoiler-free in our server outside of Capcom release material from here on out. Um, we were one of the websites, one of the, one of the communities, whatever you want to say, that uh, posted up those leaked screenshots as soon as they came out. And in uh, retrospect, I didn't agree with my overexcited decision to do that. So we won't be doing that moving forward um, because... Yeah, people deserve to have as you know go in this as blind as possible. Um, so moving forward, if there is any leaks, data mine or otherwise, we won't be talking about them. We won't be posting them in the server on Twitter or anything like that. Um, we're going to be avoiding that. Of course, we are a month out now, so we're getting close. And there's still so much we don't know. Like you said, I was watching that that stream, uh, especially when she was saying like, "Oh, we're not going to do this. We're not going to go here because spoilers." Which yeah, definitely appreciated that. But you know. One of the things that we went crazy over um, when we did our Remake 3 reveal episode was who is Dr. Bard, which is on the map. Yeah. So yeah, we still have no idea. You know, we've only seen one screenshot, basically, of the hospital. Nothing else. We haven't seen the clock tower at all. So still tons of mystery, which is great. So what do we think about uh, the characters? Because personally, you know, we've seen a lot of Carlos in that gameplay stuff as well. And I'm all about it. I love the new Carlos. Steve, what do you think? Right, okay. Yeah, I know he's, he's ruffled a little feathers with his dialogue a bit. Um, but I would say that overall, I actually do like him as a character. He's more um, appealing to, mm. I, I, I don't mean a word be watch, be around, than uh, classic Carlos. Classic Carlos always made me cringe, whereas this one, he still does, but it's kind of more entertaining. And he's Miguel from <laughs> Tekken as well, so I'll take it. Sean, what about you? What do you think about the, the new character designs? Um. I don't mind. I mean, I'm a little less on on Carlos because mm. I like to keep the redesigns as recognizable as possible, and I still I still maintain that I think if you were to take Carlos in Remake Three, show him out of context, like just as a you know an independent screenshot with no caption or anything, no one would know who he was. Yeah, I, don't I think agree with make that. that Carlos association. Um, but the rest of the Mercs are actually very recognizable, and they all have like their trademarks. You know, from Murphy having his little beanie hat thing. Um, you know, to, to you know, Nikolai looks less sort of foreboding in this one and um, less intimidating, if I like, if you like, he's, um, which is probably again will work in terms of like the mystery of the character, yeah. Um, but I think in terms of like redesigns, I'm more interested to see what they're going to do with like the new content. I really like the fact that you're going to have Murphy and Carlos on their own little escapade. Mm. Uh, it's going to be, I think, Batman's touched on this that the fact that like Tyrell and Nikolai are the monitors. It's going to be interesting to see if there's any sort of rivalry going on there. So yeah, there's room um, to explore definitely. Yeah, so I'm 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 not I'm, in terms of the characters, like the redesigns, I think work pretty well. Um, so it's just it's just a couple of the enemies that I'm a bit un, un, unsure of, but. Yeah, that's I'm, fair I'm enough. I'm sure the final game will silence me. Um, <laughs> forgive me for a second, because obviously hashtag fake Resi fan here. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, was Mikhail always the one in charge? Because he seems to be in charge now. I always thought Nikolai was the head honcho of the original crew. Mik- St- Mikhail yeah, was always the leader. Right, okay. Yeah. Was he always yeah. the leader? Right, okay. Yeah. Sorry. See, I'm not aware of that either. No, I... no one knows that Nikolai is a monitor at this point, working mm. directly underneath Umbrella. So, 
Yeah, right? it's just that I don't remember. I don't remember it ever being spelled out that Mikhail was head of the group, but I'm okay with it. It makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it probably was, and I must have missed it somewhere. It was just a guy really in pain, and then that's <laughs> grenade throws. You know, I was just going to say, he, he, hopefully, he'll get a massively expanded story. Yes, um, because I think he has the most potential too. You can't you can't give a character like that a hero moment and then leave leave him sort of unfulfilled story wise. Mm-hmm. Definitely. He's a, a Screep fan favourite, isn't he? Yeah, he is, definitely. And finally, let's talk a little bit about the gameplay. Um, so we've seen more of the return of that dodging mechanic, which is, I think when we saw it in the sort of the 10 seconds of gameplay that we'd seen previously, we just kind of mused that they'd straight up riv, ripped out the uh, Rev 2 dodge mechanic. It's obviously very different. Um comes right down to having a perfect dodge depending on your timing as well uh cat showed this off a little bit in her stream as well so it's good to see it like in you know live gameplay setting uh looks quite interesting definitely looks <laughs> like more more expanded than the the simple um aim your gun at the right time and hope for the best method of our, the original re3 uh ty how do you feel about the the dodge mechanic and obviously you've got exploding barrels coming back and the uh the power generators that go boom as well. Yeah, so it's nice to see those gameplay things return. And I did actually um, have a quick chat with Kat on her Discord, and she confirmed it is basically the Revelations 2 dodge, and it's done with R1 and a direction. Um, and it will make you do like a lunge, mm. you know, whichever way, you, whichever way you're sort of pointing the analog stick. But if you time it perfectly with an enemy attack, it will do that slow-mo... Um, slow-mo thing if you like <laughs> which will lead into like a counter-attack opportunity yes. which cat didn't didn't show us yesterday but if you've seen the other footage you'll see where jill can do like a quick aim whilst it while she's in slow motion and get some shots off and apparently that's quite integral for the nemesis fights interesting and that sort of I, i'm a fan of that and i'm a fan of and i didn't mention it but the fact that uh you don't use defense items this time around if you get grabbed you have to power them off by tapping a button um it just, yeah, it seems to to fit Jill better, who's obviously like a hardened soldier compared to uh, Leon and Claire, um, that she's able to uh, be a bit more action-focused, you know, she can fight back a little bit more and she can be a bit more wily in combat. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about the gameplay tweaks? Uh, I'm, I'm loving it, to be honest. I, I kind of wonder just how loose the window is, you know, for the perfect dodge, because mm. even in the, I mean, the first gameplay, the 30-minute gameplay, that isn't infallible. If you get the perfect dodge and something else is going to hit you, you still can be killed by it. I mean, they demonstrate it pretty well just before they showed the Nemesis boss fight proper, I think. Um, yeah. But no, overall, I'm generally on board. I like the idea because Revelations 2's dodge was probably what kept me playing the game in raid mode for so long. You know, it's an entirely fresh mechanic that helps and it's not as wonky as Revelation 1. Um, the, the whole flip round and shoot thing, it's very reminiscent of original RE3 if you're using the pistol, because Jill could take an action stance with that and fire at a much greater rate of fire. It didn't really help, but you could do it. Um, I, I, it's nice. It's like a nice little blending of mechanics. Uh, that being said, I, uh, I apparently you can down Nemesis, is this right? But I haven't seen anyone do it yet, and apparently it gives you rewards. Yes, I've read that as well, which is good. So these are all little things in RE3 that they've actually brought forward. Mm, yeah. So that's pretty exciting indeed. Although I wonder if I'm going to really have the guts to do that when I can't even do it on classic RE3. <laughs> it's, 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 
it is weird, like shades of RE5 though, with these like power generators and barrels and boxes everywhere. I know there were barrels in RE3 proper. I mean, mm. there was there was environmental stuff. It just it, for some reason it feels reminiscent of uh, our little trips to Africa. Maybe it's just <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. You know, you can give a nod to different parts of the timeline. Why not? <laughs> There's okay. surely got to be some exploding street lamps this time as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just to yes. surprise everybody all over again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Love it. Okay, well, that should wrap up the news. Uh, let's move into our main subject of this podcast. And now, original diary entries written by Distant Memories 1996, who you can follow on Twitter at distantmemory 96 Read in character as Sherry Birkin by Kiki, who you can follow on YouTube at Kiki Cakes. September 14th, 1998. Last night there was a horrible thunderstorm that came through Raccoon City. The rain was coming down so hard it sounded like a thousand footsteps on top of our house, and there were several loud crashes of lightning that flashed from my bedroom windows. The crazy storm going on wasn't the only thing interrupting my sleep. For the past few weeks, starting around the end of August, I've been having these really scary dreams. They've gotten so bad that I don't think I can call them dreams anymore, since they're more like nightmares now. The strange thing is that they begin and end the same way. Mommy and Daddy have said to me that they could be night terrors and that, like all things, I'll grow out of them in time. In the nightmare, I'm sitting at my desk in my school Raccoon Elementary in the classroom with the other kids that go there. They're all talking loudly with each other, their conversations sound like they have marbles in their mouths because they can't understand a word they say at all. None of them are talking to me, and when I try to call out to them or get their attention, they slowly turn around, staring at me with a sad look on their face. Some of them have tears rolling down their eyes. Before I can say anything to them, they wave goodbye and disappear in front of me like some kind of ghost. I'm the last kid in the room. Alone. Before I wake up, I hear broken glass followed by these horrible screams coming out from in the hall. After all of that, I usually wake up. It's then that I'm the one screaming as I look around my room, but nothing is there. My parents are either asleep or working late at their jobs overnight. They work for Umbrella, making all these new medicines for the people of Raccoon City, but sometimes I wish they were around more at home. It gets lonely and kind of creepy being home with no one around. When I have these nightmares and no one else is there, all I can do is hide under my covers until I feel safe again. September 15th, 1998 it was around dinner time, since that's usually the only time I get to see or talk to them, when I overheard Mommy and Daddy talking about a new building in Raccoon City. I sat at the table, eating my food, just listening to them talk, but I knew I had never heard them mention this place before. They were talking about a place they called the Orphanage that was built by Umbrella for all the unfortunate kids who don't have a mommy and daddy to take care of them. I don't get to see my parents very much, mainly because of their job, but I couldn't imagine not having them at all. I asked them about it when they were done talking, about all the kids who live there too, but when I did, both of them got angry at me for asking my question. 
My teachers in school always say I should ask questions of things I don't understand. They told me to never speak about it again and to focus on my schoolwork instead. I tried to ask them why, but they just ignored me and quickly left out the door to go back to work. I hope all of those kids have a nice place to stay with people who care about them. Today in school, I noticed that there are a lot of kids and teachers out sick. Maybe they caught the nasty flu that the news has been talking about going around town. It seems like everyone is getting sick with it. My mommy and daddy are probably working on a new medicine to cure all the sick people at the Raccoon General Hospital. When I go to school now, it feels just like my nightmares. More and more kids are absent from class. I heard in the cafeteria at lunch it's like that for other classes too. I just hope I don't get sick. I don't want to be a ghost like the ones in my nightmares. Our main subject on episode 20 is Profile Sherry Birkin. So this is a character who has appeared in sort of two points of the history of the franchise, but luckily one of those points has been uh, remade several times. So what we're going to do is break this up into sort of 1998 Sherry and then jump forward to... 2012 slash present day. Um, so let's go right back. There isn't a whole lot of backstory for Sherry, uh, obviously, um, but I'll just give a brief introduction. Sherry Birkin was born 1986 to her parents William and Annette, both umbrella researchers at this time working in the underground Raccoon City Laboratory. We don't know much about Sherry's upbringing other than the fact that her parents were quite distant with her, putting their work before her a lot of the time. When the September 98 outbreak occurs, after her husband infects himself with the G-Virus, Annette tells her daughter to go to the Raccoon City Police Department to stay safe while she deals with the chaos in the lab and sewers under the city, unaware that the RPD is also very dangerous. Uh, there, a 12-year-old Sherry meets Claire Redfield, and the events of our first three games we're going to talk about take place. So let's start with the original RE2, where Sherry is portrayed by Lisa Jai. Uh, as I said, she's 12 years old. And uh, so Lisa Jai, at the time of recording her lines, was 15, which is really cool as well. And just to start us off, I think what's most interesting about Sherry Birkin, um, and I hadn't thought about this until I started sort of collating my thoughts for this, is that if you look at Resident Evil 1 in a vacuum, Umbrella is a very faceless corporation. The closest we have to anything is a pile of dead bodies, you know, zombies and stuff roaming around, and Wesker who's not really Umbrella, he's a, kind of working as a triple agent. So you don't see any of the people behind anything. You know, back in 96, we didn't know about Spencer and Marcus and all of that. So to jump forward into 98 and have Resident Evil 2 and have not only some people working at Umbrella and seeing what's going on there with the Birkins, they also had a daughter who was going to be a sympathetic character. So for me, that is really tearing the lid off. Um, just going in... Uh, uh, I can't even think about what it would have been like at the time. Such a wild turn of events to go from a faceless corporation to sympathising with a 12-year-old girl who's caught up in the madness of it. Or it gives it such a human element. And I think more than anything, that is uh, what Sherry provides in Resident Evil 2. Uh, Steve, do you want to start us off? What are your thoughts about Sherry? What are your memories from sort of maybe your first playthroughs, if you can think that far back? See, I would have been 12. So... Um... <laughs> Yeah, you can put the ages together, guys, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, the, the main thing I remember is it felt like that Sherry wasn't, like, totally going to trust Claire from the get-go because the first time that they properly meet, she runs away. Mm. And then 
the next time she meets, she hears a horrible, monstrous growl, assumes it's her dad, and then legs it again. All right, now, the, the, there is something to be said about the, the, the tenacity and the will of a 12-year-old during what is essentially the visuals of a zombie apocalypse. Just go, I'm going to go and try and save my dad. I ain't got no <laughs> weapons. I, I, you know, I can take dog, yeah, dog bites to the face like about 20 times, but I ain't got no other skills, and I still go for it anyway. And I always respected that, the fact that Sherry just went for it anyway, despite the fact that there is immense danger. She went from her own home to the RPD by herself. We don't even see that, you know? Mm. Um, that kind of stuff still kind of stuck with me, that she's, you know, actually kind of a badass when you think about it. That is, that is fair, even at 12. <laughs> you can't say that about many 12-year-olds. Ty, what were your first experiences with the character of Sherry Burke and like? Because you mentioned Resident Evil 2 is where you sort of fell in love with the series. So was that maybe part of it at all? To be yeah, I mean to be honest, I love all of the interactions between what you would call the four main characters, Leon Aida, Leon and Ada and Claire and Sherry. Mm. And I, I love the sort of juxtaposition between the two campaigns. You have the very sort of cold, calculated Ada against the, the sort of maternal um relationship that Claire and Sherry have. Uh, you know, the mother and daughter thing I thought was done really, really well. And I always saw um, Claire and Sherry as as a loving homage to James Cameron's Aliens with Ripley and Newt. Yes. Um, a child character is, you know, anyone who watches any kind of movies, plays any games, child characters are really, really hard to get right because you have to tread a fine line with the writing because you make them just slightly annoying and they can derail an entire movie or story or whatever. And I think Sherry is one of these characters very much like Newt, in some ways like John Connor, Mm. that that is able to exist within this story still keep it believable still keep it real and actually make the relationship she forms with claire in this case very endearing and i think in all honesty you know that relationship is something that has defined resident evil 2 as a game and it's one of the sort of things that you know it's it's claire's main personality trait that she displays through the series and that obviously starts with with them um, with her relationship with sherry now at the time of the sort of playing resident evil 2 um, and I'll just set this in, set this up now for later. Um, but the impact of Sherry didn't really hit me that much because I was always, and some people think this is scandalous, but I was always a Leon A, Claire B kind of player. Even though I always <laughs> respected the canon was Claire A, Leon B, I prefer how the story unfolds better with that, with Leon A and Claire B. Mm. So for so many years, I didn't really pay much attention to the fact that, oh yeah, you know, Sherry's been infected by her dad with the G virus. She's got, um, you know, an antivirus with the the devil vaccine um and it wasn't until we got a little little project called wesker's report that i actually realized the significance of the character that she's going to become over the years so yeah that's fantastic you actually hit on several things that i wanted to move on to next so i appreciate that <laughs> no uh, my, my next note was comparisons to newt obviously resident evil 2 does get the sort of like yeah people comparing it to aliens um and i feel like a lot of that comes from uh specifically Claire A, in fact, really. Oh, well, maybe both of the Claire companions. Just the, the Ripley and new relationship that Claire and Sherry seem to have. Uh, and there's, there is kind of a little bit of chestburster action sort of going on in the campaign as well. Um, there, and obviously little bits and pieces like that. Um, but the other one that you mentioned that specifically I wanted to get onto as a point was, is Sherry annoying? I don't know if either of you guys ever found her annoying at all. And it... it it made me think about it because I'd never thought about it before. And it seems that everyone slings that around to any sort of child character without really much thought or any character that is in a lot of peril. 
which obviously is the case with a lot of uh, child characters that can't fend for themselves. So I did put it to our Discord, and our Discord unanimously agreed that they didn't ever find her annoying in the original RE2 or in the remake RE2. Um, I don't feel like you have to do any of rescuing her, because like Steve said, she, she does... She's very headstrong. She's sort of very capable already, which is a great character trait for her, and it reflects her backstory of kind of just being left to deal with things, which is pretty sad in, in an understated kind of way. They don't make that a big in-your-face thing. Um, but yeah, it, but she's it, not it, a moody loner or anything. She's not exactly, a weirdo. Exactly, yes. Exactly. They don't make her very... No, I don't want to use the term emo, but <laughs> it's a bit before emo. Um, but yeah, she doesn't spend the whole game moping about it. Um, she realises, oh, she can't reach the ventilation hole anymore. She'll find another way. Off she goes. And yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I think as well, one of the things that really blows me away about Resident Evil 2 um, and this is the the original '98 version. That's something they didn't bring back for the remake, which I think was 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 you know really unfortunate. Is the mechanic where if you run ahead too fast, she'll actually sit down and wait for you. <laughs> um, I just think at, at the time, I remember you know as a teenager, I remember thinking, oh, this is so this is so frustrating. You know, just keep up. I've got to go back now. I'm not. I'm trying. I'm trying to do the you know the the A run here, and I can't be held up. But now, as I've grown up and become you know much more mature. Um, I respect that as a beautiful piece of like storytelling detail, and I really, really love the fact that if you stand close to her with Claire, they hold hands. Yes. I can't believe Aww. they did. I, I can't believe they didn't do that in the remake. I think that's such a missed opportunity for detail. But then Claire is a colder character in the remake, and this side of her doesn't come out until really like right at the end of the game. Mm, that's fair. No, that's those are good important details actually that are worth mentioning. Um, they ride that line, don't they, for being capable, but also needing to have someone there in, in what is basically the apocalypse, let's face it. Um, what do we feel about... Uh, does she, do you feel like she is a 12-year-old in the game? Does she feel, you feel like she acts like a 12-year-old? Because I find in media, a lot of the time, um, children are made unrealistically stupid sometimes. Uh, they'll say a character is 12 when they're acting more like 6 or 7, which I, I, it always confuses me. Um, for me, she does. She feels like a, an actual twelve-year-old, maybe even slightly older, which again feeds into her backstory of having to fend for herself. Steve, how, did you feel like she was portrayed properly for her age? Um, I think overall, I'm kind of halfway between it because obviously I live with a fifteen-year-old. I know what they're like. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of want to say no. I want to feel. I want to say that they're they're very much like they feel like they're nine or ten. They they feel much younger. Well, that's not a slight against them because that's just even more impressive at how badass she is, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. Ty, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think I think she's about... I mean, obviously, I I, I, I don't have any experience um, in, in that sense yet. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, she's about where I would think she would be. But then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of hindered with knowledge there. <laughs> um, but she certainly never... She never came across as, like, far off. If you right. like, yeah, I, I, I never got the impression that she was younger than her years or older than her years. It just, it just felt right, and I, and I, I put that down to the credit of the storytelling in that game. To be honest, in the script, I mean, the script for Sherry and Claire is very good. Definitely. Even back in 1980, it, yeah. it was strong. It was a joy to watch all of those cutscenes back uh, this morning for me, both both Claire A and Claire B, because um, I. 
unlike you, I'd sort of do the reverse. I've always been a Claire Ailey on B, so especially nice to watch B. Um, there's some some powerful stuff in there, even 20 years later um, in the B playthrough where she sees Annette die in front of her. The music and the way that performance is delivered as well is, is really good, even for 20 years later. It's, it's more than you can expect out of a video game from the late 90s. Um, everyone always makes fun of the Resident Evil kind of schlocky voice acting, and that's fair. But I think they really, uh, Lisa Jai did an incredible job. I'd almost go as far as to say it's very close to being my favourite performance of the lot, if not my absolute favourite. Yeah, yeah. It's worth listening to the Crimson Head podcast, actually, that she was a guest on to hear sort of some of her stories um, about recording that dialogue as well. So cheeky plug for them. Um, they did an episode with her and Alison Court, a.k.a. Claire, as well, where she talks about how the script was handled with her only being 15 at the time as well. Um, to be a fly on the wall of that room, to, to hear that performance as well. Um, so there's some sympathetic nature in Sherry. Obviously, she's the, the character that needs taken care of in certain aspects, especially late into the A game. Um, my personal favourite moment, I will go around the room I think with this, but my personal favourite moment is actually just when you get to the laboratory, she's wearing Claire's jacket and we have to go get the vaccine. And at this point, she it'd be very cheap for have a child character just to be like, I'm terrified, I'm just going to cry all the time, which is how you make a character annoying. Um, this is when it happens in the A playthrough and it's, it's not necessarily out of the horror of what's going on. What is so powerful to me is that it's delivered after the line um, where she remarks that it's nice to have someone there to help her. I found that watching back today incredibly powerful. Um, she's not necessarily, I mean, she probably is breaking down about the whole situation. Why wouldn't you? But it's the personal conflict inside there as well that I thought was striking even all these years later. Ty, what's your favourite Sherry moment from the original RE2? I think I'm a bit I'm a bit hindered in this one because, like I say, that you don't get those those mm. moments because she's very much re relegated in the Leon A. Claire B. setup. Um, but I would probably say that, to be honest, or the the scene where she's um, first taken to the the first office of the lab. I don't call it Nest. Sorry, mm. guys. <laughs> um, um, where she she says it's nice to have someone to depend on. Yes, like you that's said, right, I think yeah. it's that it's that line of dialogue, isn't it? And um, yeah, it's just watching that that relationship sort of become stronger between the two characters, and I, and I do think it's one of the things that remake two missteps quite hard with. We'll um, definitely get to that. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think I think you you can pretty much handpick any moment with Sherry and Claire, and they're uh, they're all wonderful, and it's down to you know the script and the voice acting. I mean, Alison's particularly strong in these yes, scenes as well. Yeah. Uh, Steve, what's your favourite Sherry moment from the classic RE two? The, you guys are going for all the nice emotional deep stuff and while I do agree I think she gets like one of the best like sequences in a resi game ever when she saves the day by basically kicking a grate through and stopping a train <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's it, true it's yeah. cheesy it's cheesy but the fact that again she's just got the wherewithal to go right okay I'm going to just duck through here and then try and figure it out as I go and it works out and I, 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 I don't know maybe I'm just more of a fan of your cliche action nonsense I really do appreciate that scene. But do you know what? Actually, it's worth it's worth pointing out because it's very in line with what she's done for the rest of the game. She's not going to stand around and do nothing. She's going to try and help in the same way that she'll bring you a box full of grenades and somehow like throw it five feet into the air. But exactly. 
She's not sat on the sidelines. She's trying to save the day. Right, she's it, an active it, part. Yeah, it kind of annoys me that she got didn't get that in Remake 2, to be honest. The whole, like, saving the day bit right at the end. No, that that's actually a very yeah. good point. Um, <sighs> you got to feel you got to feel for Sherry, though. It is uh, something that I forgot about until thinking about it today, really. It's an often forgotten detail that she's chased by two monsters in this game. It's not just uh, her infected dad. Uh, she's also chased by Mr. X for a while because of the pendant. So she's put in incredible amounts of danger, whether or not she's really aware of that. Um, but circling back round to Monster Dad, uh, Sherry Birkin, we, we actually did an, a video on tragic characters in the RE universe. Obviously, Sherry was on there. Do you think she's the most tragic character in Resident Evil, or does that maybe go to Lisa Trevor? Uh, Steve, what do you think? I think if if she is, I mean, I can't can't decide. I, I think Lisa's been through a lot, especially at age 14. But the one to come through and not have or not be traumatized considering hmm. the level of abuse and horrible things that have happened to her. I think Sherry's like king, like, well, queen. She just <laughs> takes so much damage and just keeps going. Like, in a lot of people slate RE6. I'm sure we're going to get there, but Sherry in RE6 is like, you know, she's she's come through on top. Hmm. Ty, know? what do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, Steve's already already got on to where we're going to go with this chat. But I mean, <laughs> in terms of like tragic arcs, I would say Lisa's going to be all time king. Yeah, that's um, fair. of that or queen, should I say? She she gets she gets through some horror. Um, but the fact that, like Steve's just said, Sherry goes through all that and comes out, she comes out a badass. <laughs> you know, you know, and 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 the great thing is. When we get there, I'll, I'll just do like a little little hint to, to how what I'm going to say. Um, all of this comes from the, the, the her inspiration to to become who she is in six is all set up in two with the relationship she has with Leon and Claire. So that, it, it's yeah, it's rooted it's rooted early on. And if if anyone had any doubt, as I did when Sherry was first revealed as being a Resident Evil Six uh, character, and I was thinking, God, I'm not sure I like that. Um, the game and the files and everything just was like, of course, it's perfect. Why didn't I think of that? Yes, that's a that's a nice little tease for the future of this episode. Um, so before we close out RE2 98 and move forward slightly, well, I say move forward, we're going to still be handling the same subject matter, really. Um, where do you guys rank the classic Sherry? Is this either of your guys' favourites performance? No, that's a big no. Okay, well, there's the tease. So let's move on to Dark Side Chronicles, which is a game we haven't really covered all that much. Um, uh, Sherry does appear in Dark Side Chronicles retelling of Resident Evil 2. So again, we're looking at the same sort of sequence of events told slightly differently. Um, <laughs> for one thing, it's an on-rail shooter game, so you're definitely going to have to mix it up. She was betrayed by Laura Bailey in this version. Um, an actress who's very synonymous with the Resident Evil series for playing multiple different characters, in fact. Um, for me, I think this is the absolute weakest. I would say this game doesn't do a whole lot for Sherry, and we were talking about, does she feel 12? Does she feel capable? I feel like this game makes her very childish and very lifeless, but maybe that is down to the fact that the game is, you know, it needs to take place over the course of basically an hour's worth of gameplay on rails, not really any cutscenes. Yeah, not not a huge fan. Steve, you asked if we were going to cover Darkseid, so I'll go to you next. How do you feel about Darkseid's portrayal of Sherry? I'm sorry for bringing it up. <laughs> uh, honestly, um, they just, like, she's like a, what do you call it? 
a damsel in distress kind of thing. She just runs off. They need to save her. And then she shows up at the end, cries. That's it. It's mm. totally, completely against her entire character up until this point in the franchise. I don't, you know, she's not, she's not just like some the crying child who runs away, but that's mm. all she is in Dark Side Chronicle. Right, exactly. Um, it's, uh, I, I hate to use harsh language, but it's, it's, it's pretty rubbish. <laughs> I, um, something that just sort of rubbed me the wrong way was sort of watching this back. Um, it's lifeless. It is lifeless. It is lifeless. And the way that she sort of refers to Annette as mummy, just it just consistently as well, it just didn't make me think, oh, this is a 12-year-old girl. This is not what 12-year-olds, especially ones detached from their parents, act like for me. Um, yeah, she just felt very childish. Uh, Stars, how do you feel about Darkseid and its portrayal of Sherry Birkin? Well, I think um, I'll get this out of the way now. I'm not a fan of Darkseid Chronicles whatsoever. Mm. I think it missteps so many characters across both its retellings you know the ashfords and everything like that i just think i think more or less every character is totally mishandled and sherry included in that the 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 birkins i mean they get annette completely wrong as well i think um she doesn't feel like the same character she did in resident evil 2 and they'll carry that on with remake 2 unfortunately the only thing i take from dark side and I do see this as canon, is the three audio files you can right. unlock. Yes. As much as, as much as I don't think they're quite performed as well as they could be. Um, I've, I, I liken this very similar to... These three files I liken very similar to the Daughters DLC in Resident Evil 7, in that it's nice to actually have some insight into what a you know Armageddon is like in the, in the beginnings of it. Mm. And it's one of the only times you really get a feeling of like, Annette's warning Sherry that something's gone wrong and everything's about to go very, very wrong. Um, you don't get a lot. There's not much of the game that's set before an incident occurs. We always sort of tend to come through halfway or in the aftermath or whatever. So it's nice to actually hear something in the beginnings of it unfolding and the sheer panic of getting um, Sherry out of the school, getting her to the RPD, and then when the RPD's not safe as well. I, I do quite like the panic. I don't think it's quite acted as well as it, as it could be. It came across a little bit hammy. Mm. Um, like you say, the mummy references and stuff are not quite the sherry we knew from Resident Evil 2, but I like the idea of them more than anything. Yes, I agree with that. There's some choice details in there which are really nice. Um, Annette specifically pulling her out of school as well and telling her to go home, pick up the locket and uh, go to the RPD. That's that's a nice little detail. You can you can take that as lore if you like. Um, and also her telling her to stay away from everyone, which is nice because when you think about it, in Resident Evil 2, as soon as she sees you, she's running away, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's, that's some nice little sprinkling of details, but overall I agree. Um, not super well portrayed, which is a shame. It would have been nice to hear the original voice actors handling this perhaps, but... Hey ho, that, that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. I think that's really it with Darkseid. There's not a whole, whole lot to say. It's quite a brief appearance and it, it's it's not particularly uh, worth dissecting. So we'll jump forward again to the the second retelling of 1998 for Remake 2, Resident Evil 2 2019, where she was portrayed by Eliza Pryor. Um, she's also a child actor, like Lisa Jai. I couldn't find her exact age, but she's a TV actor. Um, I think she's in like a Nickelodeon shows, Disney shows, something like that. Um, for me, um, this is very recognisably Sherry. Quite impressed with this. I think overall the game did... Mm, 
a mixed, I would say it's a mixed bag with characterization. Some of them it gets perfectly, others not so much, but I thought Cherry was very much closer to the former. Um, Sean, how do you feel about Remake 2 Sherry overall? The problem I have with Remake Sherry is I don't see her growing up to be the character we see in Resident Evil 6, and that's a really big deal breaker for me. Um, I know I might be alone in this, but uh, I've I've been very vocal over the last year over the the characterizations in Remake 2, and um, I think outside of Leon, I don't really feel like any character feels in many ways. They're recognizable enough um, to be like, you you know, you know that's AD, you know that's Claire, you know that's Sherry, but I really, as I said earlier, I really, really missed that relationship and how deep it got in the original 98 RE2. And I think it's it's criminally, um, you know, lightly touched upon mm. in, in the remake. And, uh, you know, I didn't get a great deal out of the orphanage sequence either. And I, I don't want to be too hard on remake too, because I feel like I've been hard on it over a year. <laughs> and I, believe me when I say I actually do really like the game as Resident Evil experience a lot. I just always say it's as a remake, it falls flat for me. As a, as, a, as a Resident Evil experience, it's great, but as a remake, not so much. Um, That's fair enough. Like that happens with something that you love so dearly. Uh, sometimes it's it does always sound like you're picking it apart because that happens to the best of us. When we did our Resident Evil Three episode, I remember putting it out, thinking, "Oh no, have we just destroyed this game?" Because I felt like we nitpicked everything. But I think that just goes to show how much it means to you. Yeah, uh, it doesn't necessarily reflect your overall opinion. Always hold the magnifying glass closest to the things you love, isn't it? That's yeah, exactly. yes, perfect. Yes, I, you make a good point, though. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, and now that you say that, I I completely agree. Um, you don't see the through line so much looking back at this. Um, you, you know, on a, on a surface level, definitely so. Um, in terms of remake, Sherry. The thing that I love most is the fact they changed the outfit. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the outfit that needed changing the most, I'd say. The the Japanese schoolgirl thing that they had in RE2 is, you know, it's nice, it's classic, uh, but it doesn't really fit with the fact the games are set in the US, which is funny because you can look up concept art for Sherry for uh, 1.5, which is a bit more American. So, But uh, I, was a, I was a fan of that. Steve, how do you feel about Remake 2 Sherry? See, I'm, I kind of like feel like there's shades of classic Sherry in there, but there is a lot more newt this time around. Mm. Like that, some, someone watched Aliens a few more times when scripted, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but I like particular moments that I really stick out for me are the the end sequence, like when like are you keeping up with me, Sherry? Yeah, I've got strong legs and stuff like that. Like, yeah, okay, you're kind of a little badass now. Mm. Um, and then the, the little bit of banter on the train where she says that, yeah, I promise I won't move. But then before then, you've got like Newt. It's literally just Newt before the G fight, the first G fight, isn't it? Like, you need help. That whole yes. thing feels like, you know, there's a monster behind you. And I kind of feel like that's a shame, you know? It was nice when they weren't so over the head with the references. Uh, yeah. That being said, I do genuinely like the Sherry. She's, you know, she's not she's not number one, but she's she's, she's pretty good. Yeah, for me, in terms of performance, um, it's up there. The performance is very very strong, but there's some weird parts in there. Like you mentioned, when you first encounter her, and she says you need help. It always felt very. It always felt like a very strange choice for somebody, something for somebody to say. Uh, it just just feels out of place. Um, but the, the some of her interactions with other characters. Some of them are really strong, but with Claire, not so much. Like her stuff with Annette, 
I find quite, not to overuse the word, but again, quite powerful. Um, you know, she's pleading with her mum at one point, you know, you didn't pick up your phone or anything like that. And her mum just says, well, I, didn't have, I don't have time for this, which is awful, awful, something awful to yeah. say to anyone in that circumstance, let alone your own child. And then when Annette dies, obviously, uh, later in the game as well, that, I think we touched on this in our Villains episode where we talked about Annette, but that was spectacularly well played from everyone, um, especially Sherry. I thought that scene was very powerful. But, yeah, not so much the, the kind of the Claire relationship. It doesn't, it's not the same bond, certainly. And and it's something that the six files will elaborate on a lot is is how deep their relationship goes, and I don't know whether I necessarily got that from remake two. Mm, I don't, which, which is which is just a shame. She's definitely more emotionally detached in Resident Evil two, Sherry. I think. Right. Yeah. Um, so the only thing that remake two improves upon in the sense that there's some depth there, perhaps, is the gameplay segment. Uh, Resident Evil two ninety eight. It's fine enough, as Steve said, uh, taking bites from zombie dogs like it's nothing at all. Uh, there's not too much to it, even less so in the sewer segment. She's a tank. She is a tank. She's indestructible. But there, there's not a whole lot to do there, whereas uh, in Remake 2 she gets her own area to explore completely. Well, not completely her own because Claire turns up later, but you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the orphanage, a couple of puzzles to solve. Um, and then some splinter cell action hiding from Chief Irons. Uh, how, how do you feel about the orphanage segment, uh, Steve? I actually prefer it to Ada's segment, uh, 100%. Mainly because it's, if you know what you're doing, it's unfailable, even on like the hardest difficulty setting. Mm. And that's, that's, that's good for speedruns, kids. Um, I actually like that the, the idea, it feels like they may have looked at the cliff notes for like experimenting on children's very Resident Evil survivor. Um, but the, the news, the, the little like documents, like the, the person who runs this place is a policeman. Well, okay, <laughs> uh, I see where we're going now. Then, <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Stars, how do you feel about the orphanage? I'm not, I'm not too hot on it, um, but it's a decent set piece if you like. Mm. It's quite, you know, it is, it is if you. The first time through was, was reasonably tense. I like the fact that it had a, a you know a decent puzzle in there. Um, the orphanage, I, I could I could go on with, but um, you know, it was nice that Sherry got her own unique um, moment in the limelight that she didn't share with anybody else. That was the problem with um, ninety eight Resident Evil Two is it, her and Ada's section is the same, mm. um, except the fact that she can't climb a box quite as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the orphanage it, it was it was a well thought out area. And it was a decent set piece, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too hot on it to be honest. It's, I don't, I don't treat it as canon, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> That's an entirely different debate about me and remake too. I definitely, mm. um, yeah, it's one of those things that on first playthrough was quite interesting. Um, frankly, I think I remember sort of playing through the game and my wife paying a little bit more attention because it was interestingly different from what was going on previously um but it does suffer with repeat playthroughs it's uh yeah it's not much once you figure out the pattern and you just you just gotta wait through it a little bit uh it does become a bit of a drag but as a as a unique moment in the game it is cool they gave sherry something something to do but again in a strange way it's shame that it's hiding and not actually too much action although she does get to throw the acid in his face now that i think about it so that's cool at least <laughs> As a quick aside, have you guys seen the AVGN playthrough of this uh, this particular section? Because it's hilarious. Like you can no. that that hide and seek section. 
Like you can literally stand in front of him in certain places, just stare at him. <laughs> I, I have not seen that. No. Yeah, no, you need to check out the. Uh, I think it's Awesome Games Done Quick. I think it's their speedrun. I want to oh, say it's right, Bork, yeah. Bork, but obviously they break the game in various ways because speedrunners can do magical things and like turn a knife into a grenade launcher or whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that sequence made me like, I was howling with laughter because you just stand there and just yell at the chief pretty much. You're like, you're staring him down. Uh, yeah. You can it's, it's the hell out of me Is there because you meant AGDQ and you said AVGN. Yeah, sorry. Angry no, video no, game, nerd. No, no, no. no I, I'm getting my YouTube stuff mixed up. Sorry. No, um, awesome games done quick. Awesome games done quick. That's is it just because um, Iron's scripting is fundamentally broken then, or something? Yeah, Must be, yeah. Right, you can yeah. stand almost in front of the door where you'll get to at the end, and he just walks past you. It's um, <laughs> yeah, that's great. I'll have to look that up certainly. Okay, well let, let's let's round out. Uh, I don't know if anyone has any final points on remake two Sherry, uh, but before we move into the future. Um, out of the three, I'm guessing it goes without saying that the original RE2 is the, the preferable for everyone here. I know it is for me. Um, Steve, what, are you siding with the OG? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Sean, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm obviously 98 Sherry, and I think that leads in well to the Resident Evil 3 epilogue Fantastic. as well. Yeah, no, that's um, true. Yeah. Um, and the... The Resident Evil 3 epilogue is really nice, and they actually remade the image um, in one of the promo shots for uh, the Resident Evil 2 remake where she sat by the window. Um, And it just implies the loneliness. And I think when, and I can't remember how the structure of Resident Evil 3 and who's you unlocked first. I think you possibly unlocked Claire's first. And it is worth saying at this point that the English version of Claire's epilogue is a lot colder. It just looks like she basically abandons. Sherry and Leon. That's not quite the case. The, in the in the Japanese um, version, she actually Leon actually encourages Claire to go um, look for Chris. I'll look after Sherry. Everything will be fine. Whereas in the English version, he's more like you know you're looking for your brother. Just go. Mm. Um, and then I think you unlock Sherry's epilogue, and she's just like all alone, sat by the window, and she's the only thing that keeps her going is the thoughts that Claire will come back. And I think that's a real. So it's a thing worth remembering as we move on into the future. Yes, um, absolutely. Considering how many years it was until we finally saw her again as well. That's that's what we were left with, you know. Okay. And, oh, sorry, and one other little thing in there. Are we, are we doing Wesley's report shortly? or You, you can feel free. <laughs> yeah, so obviously Sherry's significance, um, in, personally from my point of view, Sherry's significance wasn't really highlighted until we got... A nice little promo DVD that came with the Code Veronica X um, port for the PlayStation 2. And basically, at the end of Wesker's report, which was a 20-minute promo video, if anyone's ever seen it, you can watch it online. Um, Wesker narrates through the first three games of the series and finishes with a little, like, it's almost like a Marvel post credit scene, if you like, and it shows Sherry behind the bar, behind, like, metaphorical bars, if you like, Um and he just basically muses that there's something special about this little girl. And there you go. Love that. See, that's the sort of stuff that you get to hear if you listen to the Resident Evil podcast. <laughs> Real in the yeah. weed stuff. Love that. See, I was right good when I got CVX on the PS2. Because all I got was a Devil May Cry demo. I never got Wesker's report. It was a, it was like a game, or a, would it be Electronics Boutique at the time? I think <laughs> yeah, it was a, yeah. It was it was a it was a pre order bonus, and it was very limited. You had to basically it was first come first serve on the day. I think 
And I said they got Richard Ward to voice it and everything as That's well. Right. They did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it, and it is mostly canon, but for a couple of a couple of awkward bits. So generally, if you the, the 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 rule is just take the text, don't take the video. Oh right, okay. I was about to ask that. Yeah, good to know. Um, but yeah, it's on it's on it's on YouTube if people want to watch it. And like I say, ignore the images because it uses it. It uses that tricky mix of like Leon A. Claire B. footage for Resident Evil Two, and then and then mixes it up with Claire A. Leon B. So the actual version of events you get is quite broken. Um, but the the actual text works and just as a brief aside i'll not go into this too much but there has been a couple of revisions with resca's report over the years and there was one version which actually took out that final moment with um wesker musing over sherry that has since been put back in because it can work with what we know later in resident evil 6 so we'll get into that december 23rd 2012 September 1998, a turning point in my life. There are times when I fight with myself to forget it, but horrible memories are much harder to shake when a part of it will always be with you. I remember each and every moment in torment, a constant reminder in the daytime hours, but haunts me ever still in the dark of night as I toss and turn in my sleep. The twisted, rotting faces of Raccoon City citizens the hellish imagery of the other creatures that prowled the city's streets, and the overall destruction of a place I used to call home are always staring back at me when I close my eyes. If it wasn't for the brave efforts of Leon S. Kennedy and Claire Redfield, two seemingly unlikely survivors in a city gone completely mad with disease, I would have perished from this world and burned in the flames that swallowed it whole upon its eradication. The day we walked down that lonely stretch of highway, with the summer's afternoon sun setting on our faces, stained in the dirt and blood from the dead city behind us, I felt something deep inside. I remember, in what seemed like the first time in a long time, like I could have a family again. We were all incredibly tired beyond words, our bodies exhausted of all energy. I thought we were going to pass out completely before anyone found us. I do remember taking a break from our walk, before we reached the quarantine zone set up by the United States government, to rest. All I remember is the sound of the wind that was blowing off the Arclay Mountains, some birds crying off in the distance, and the silence of it all when compared to the chaotic events of the nightmare we had escaped from mere moments ago. It was when we reached the US Armed Forces, who were covered in special biohazard suits and carrying huge automatic assault rifles in hand, that the feeling of family I was beginning to feel was to be taken from me again. They had so many questions, most of which I could not answer. Leon ended up being recruited by the United States as an agent for the president. Claire was let go from custody and left for Europe to search for her missing brother Chris and I was placed into protective custody due to my parents being tied directly to the Umbrella Corporation. We had one more brief conversation amongst each other that day, before we went our separate ways, but both promised me that we would see each other again when all of this was over. It's now 2012. Once I was of adult age and granted clearance from the United States, and following the events of what happened in Raccoon City, I took it upon myself to make a promise, a personal vow to myself, for all of the lives that were lost in that nightmare, to join the fight so that it would never happen again. 
there were several anti-bioterror groups popping up all over, but the two most notable groups were the BSAA and the DSO. The DSO, the Division of Security Operations, was the perfect place to carry out that newfound promise, giving me the security and support I needed so that I could better help the people of the world that were ravaged by the pain of bioterrorism. They were founded and funded by the United States government directly under the president himself, which in that case would be our acting commander-in-chief, President Adam Benford. The world may have been prematurely exposed to the horrors of viral outbreaks thanks to Umbrella, but even after bankruptcy, the legacy they left behind would go on to influence countless other groups. As a direct result of their actions, others sought out to do harm to others just as Umbrella did all those years ago. It's with that said that sometimes I do feel out of place here, both in the DSO and the world overall. My last name being Birkin holds a considerable amount of weight to it, given that both of my parents were head researchers for the Umbrella Corporation, along with the original creators of the G-Virus. A virus which, following the events of Raccoon City, courses through these veins alongside the blood in my body working in miraculously perfect harmony. Many would consider my situation, despite the dreadful circumstances surrounding its existence, a small gift in of itself due to the incredibly resilient healing factor the virus provides me with. I often like to think of it as both a blessing and a curse. A blessing because it allows me to gain the upper hand in the fight against the horrors I come face to face with in the field, but a curse since my gift was what cost me both of my parents. I often wonder now about how mom and dad would view the world they left behind, in addition to how they would feel about their only child being consequently still infected with the G-Virus in a way, but being used to stop the kinds of things that they were making in Umbrella's laboratories. I've had to come to terms with their passing, and now know that they loved me very much. They were just victims of Umbrella's will, in one way or another, and a victim of circumstances that even they could not have foreseen happening around them. There's a nasty thunderstorm rolling in above the clouds outside from my office window, the rain pouring down heavily onto the glass, with lightning periodically flashing from the sky. I hate when it rains. I always did, even when I was a kid because it meant I couldn't play outside. But ever since Raccoon City, all it does is make me remember memories I would soon wish to forget. Okay, so let's let's move onwards. I've got a bit of a sort of preamble here to sort of fill in the gap between 1998 and 2012. Um, as with all of our profile episodes, the shout out here goes to projectumbrella.net for their spectacular profile on the character. So I've taken some choice parts, please bear with me as I... Uh, fill in, what is that, 14 years of, of, of gap there. Uh, so after escaping from Raccoon City, Birkin and Kennedy were taken into protective custody by the US Army. The reasons for this were that she still harbored active traces of the G-Virus and its antibodies, and she also required protection from Umbrella and their rival company. After an agreement between Kennedy in which he agreed to become an agent in exchange for her safety, Birkin was kept within the custody of the government, where they then began observation and research on her body for the virus and its antibodies within. 
in. Birkin was placed under house arrest and had become the only person in the world with a resistance to the G-Virus, making her of great significance both politically and as a military asset, and giving her top secret status. Over the next 11 years, although the advance of the virus within Birkin was halted when she was inoculated with the devil vaccine, a small amount of the G-Virus remained in her body. In the government's custody, she was subjected to various experiments in relation to the virus and its antibodies at a government research institution. In the process, by the time she grew up, she could completely control the virus's power and could physically regenerate, and had gained a viral resistance. In addition, her aging process had halted around the age of 20 due to the virus's influence, giving her a more youthful appearance than her actual age implied. With no relatives, a high-ranking government official, Derek C. Simmons, became Birkin's substitute guardian, and in 2009, Albert Wesker was killed. Umbrella and their rival company had long since collapsed, and as a result, Birkin had no, no further need for protection, and the experiments on her had been completed. The government offered her a deal to become an agent in exchange for her freedom from house arrest. She accepted the deal and was inducted as an agent under the exclusive direct control of the US National Security Advisor, her substitute guardian, Derek C. Simmons. Though she was still under the strict surveillance of the government, she was now free from confinement and later became an agent of the DSO, the Division of Security Operations. Claire Redfield attempted to persuade Birkin to resign as an agent many times, but with no success. Birkin firmly believed in her desire to carry out her missions in order to stop bioterrorism from claiming more victims like herself. So that brings us to Resident Evil 6, December 2012, where Birkin is ordered by Simmons to infiltrate the Adonia Republic and extract Jack Mueller, a mercenary and the son of Albert Wesker, who harbours antibodies to the C-virus, a new virus which had recently been used in bioterrorism around the world. Uh, she finds Mueller in the middle of the Civil War and escapes with him being pursued by the Eustonac. So this is portrayed, this time around, Sherry's portrayed by Eden Rigel. Uh, she's around the age of 26, but as I said, she looks younger due to the, the G-virus. And as is the way with Resident Evil 6, she's part of two, like a, a pairing of characters. So uh, she's the third, I guess, pairing with Jake. Um, when you go into Resident Evil 6 to boot up a campaign, as I did recently to play through this, uh, you've got Leon, you've got Chris, you've got Jake. I, I made a little noise and I said to myself, Jake's campaign, my ass. This is all about Sherry. <laughs> so Sherry is the lead character as far as I'm concerned in her campaign I don't know if you guys agree with that Steve when you played Resident Evil 6 the first time did you play as Jake or did you play as Sherry I was doing co-op and I played as Sherry so ah. we did have both people going on I played all of RE6 co-op first time did you elect to play as Sherry or were you just sort of lumped with it <laughs> uh, it was a case of I played as Leon my buddy played as Chris and then they were like mad they are a Wesker fanboy to the end of the earth and oh okay they, kinda, they, they already seen Jake's face where he's Wesker's son so <laughs> I, I, I was like yeah that's okay Sherry's cool enough yeah that's fair enough it works out uh, little did I know the exactly. best returning Resident Evil character is in fact <laughs> <laughs> Ty did you play as Sherry the first time when you booted up Resi 6 I certainly did. Of course. <laughs> so you touched on some points here. We sort of teased some various bits and pieces. Um, so let's talk about her characterization. Uh, Sean, you might as well start us off. How do you feel about Sherry being realised in RE6 the way that she was? Right, well, Resident Evil, uh, Sherry was always a bit of an enigma for a, a number of years in the series. And ever since, I think, Wesker's report gave everybody that neat little coda that there was something more to her than, than meets the eye. 
there was a demand from the fans to basically have a return in some sort of capacity. And honestly, the reaching over the years <laughs> to try and get her back from myself included. You know, <laughs> I think I was one of the people who was like, when we first got the uh, photo of Ashley Graham in Resident Evil 4, I was like, that's Sherry. That's a witness protection program, and she's got contact lenses in. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, and obviously, as, as it happened, you know, the, the community went nuts, convincing themselves it was Sherry, and then it wasn't. And then I think there was a bit of like, oh, that was a bit of a shame, you know. Mm. And then, and then Resident Evil Five was announced, and then we had the 2007. Or was it the E3 trailer for 2007, which shows that the much bigger public assembly, mm. but it ends, that trailer ends with a unique shot of a blonde lady opening her eyes and everyone was like, <laughs> uh, sorry, nearly. <laughs> everyone was like, oh wow, you know, Sherry's back again. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then, you know, I think there was a leaked photo in Famitsu, which is the one that Chris sees on his PDA at the end of one of the chapters. Uh, when he first meets Josh, that image leaked. And I remember there was people image zooming and that, and it was like, oh my God, if you look at it, it doesn't look like a zip. It looks like a pendant. It, it's Sherry. Sherry's back, guys. And it ended up just being the zip on Jill's battle suit. <laughs> you know, this is the kind of reaching that the community went to. And then, and then, and then I remember there was a Famitsu, another Famitsu issue where we got um, Alison, who is the blonde girl who gets the Plaga infect infection. Um, she gets she, she's briefly in Chris's campaign where she gets pulled back into the house and everyone's like, oh my god, it, Sherry really is in this. It's going to be absolutely incredible. And then, and then and then and then and then Umbrella Chronicles. Uh, sorry, before that we had Umbrella Chronicles and there's a secret game mode in that where you you play as an unknown character shooting zombies. Um, and if that character gets killed, she makes a very childlike scream, and everybody was like, "It's Sherry again!" And then, if you do that that um, special mode, she climbs into a capsule, and it's like, "Oh my god, she's being trained for some sort of experiment!" You know, and all that's nonsense. <laughs> and then, and then, Resident Evil Six comes out, it gets announced, and then some promo comes out, and there's a character with blonde hair, nice-looking young lady, and everybody goes, "It's Ashley." Ashley's back. <laughs> And it's and it's Sherry, <laughs> and um, and so they announced that Sherry Birkin will be back in Resident Evil Six. She's going to be an agent uh, working for the same organisation as Leon. And I remember reading that and, and thinking, "Oh my god, mm. this is like not what people wanted. This is just like this just seems absolutely ridiculous." You know, this would be like Newt coming back as a colonial marine. It's like what what are they doing? <laughs> and then mercifully, the game. And I'll finish by this. Just silence me so much because she is she is gifted, in my opinion personally. Resident Evil Six has got so many flaws, but I'll always support that game for what they do with Sherry. And Sherry gets, in my opinion, hands down, the best cutscenes in the game because hers is the nostalgic link back to the past. By this point, like Leon's already too far gone down his sort of superhero mm. um, pathway. Chris is lost in this game, but Sherry is is our link to the past and her and her writing and her diet, you know, the nostalgic references are all given by Sherry in this game. She's the one that name drops Leon. She's the reason why Chris name drops Claire, you know, the, the she's the connective tissue to the rest of the series. And this is why I know I, I know I, I, I go crazy when I talk about Sherry in Resident <laughs> Evil six, because I just, I was so blown away by Capcom giving me something I didn't even think I wanted. And it, it instantly made Sherry one of my favorite characters of the series 
when I wasn't even really that bothered about her before. Mm. You know, and I feel terrible saying that now, but I just think they did they did a world's worth of work with her in six. I think she's an incredible character. Can and we... she is, in my opinion, where the future of the series lies. Right, exactly. We'll get to that, definitely. Can we get a round of applause emojis yeah. in the chat, please, for that? That was fantastic, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was very absent in my fandom around this time. So I don't know what my reaction was to Sherry being announced um, as part of Resident Evil 6. I can imagine heads rolling, definitely, but... I, I, have, I, don't, I have no idea. I probably just kind of went, meh. Um, I didn't play Resident Evil 6 at launch. That That's for damn sure. Um, so, so uh, Steve, how do you feel about the characterization of Sherry in RE6 after all this time uh, returning okay. in such a distinctly different role? Okay, so can I just touch on Revelations 2 for us? Sure. Okay, um, right. So Claire doesn't feel as Claire as Claire should be. In Revelations 2, at least whenever Neil is involved, right? Mm. And I feel like Sherry in RE6 is a much better, like, facsimile. <laughs> I mean, you can tell it's not 100% Claire, but she's more Claire than Claire is now mm-hmm. uh, in the present day. And I 100% think that's the best way for her to be, like taking on like the action heroic style stuff of Leon and being an agent and doing all these badass things trying to save the world, but still caring about people and being a, a bit more of a, we've got to try and solve this problem. We, we've got to look after people. That Claire has, it's like mm. they're they're um, she's blended both of her surrogate parents. As I know they weren't really, but play right. with me that, that, that kind of identity down, and it works like the most human character, and it's a, it's a callback to a previous like game. You know that I love it. I actually think she's the only character that returned to RE6 from you know established games that actually nailed it. Yes, a hundred percent. I agree with both of you. Um, the yeah. They got Leon's sort of dutifulness in there. Claire's soft side clearly having a big impact on her on what was the most important moment of her life in September 98. And it it remains with her all that time. And I think personally, uh, pairing her with a character like Jake was kind of a stroke of genius. Um, I don't know if they'd already decided to have a Wesker child in. I'm sure they had. But uh, pairing them with someone who else, someone else who'd had issues in their life, um, and having them both go different roads with it. Obviously, Jake's kind of gone down a darker path. He's a mercenary in the middle of a civil war when you meet him, and he just kind of goes through life seemingly without really too much thinking too much about other people or, or what's going on around him or his greater impact. Whereas Sherry and we mentioned this previously, we kind of hinted at it previously. She takes the negative stuff that happened to her. And she turns it into something positive, which is, and we're talking about the characters actually doing something, these characters actually get to have an arc in this way. Sherry actually gets to teach Jake a lesson in this way. And Steve, you compared her to Claire, which I think is probably uh, a more apt one. But when I played through it again, I just thought sort of like serious shades of Rebecca going on in there in the way that she, uh, she does that. It's sort of in similar ways that she would do with Billy and something like that, reach out to sort of a damaged person. Um, but yeah, no, Claire's a good shout as well. Um, it's just a shame that the game's so fast-paced that we don't get to spend more time with her, really. Um, she does get to do all those references. She gets to have, like meet up with Leon briefly and mention Claire. But uh, the game is being a bit more action-focused. Uh, I don't feel like we got enough character moments from her. Unfortunately, obviously what we did get, definitely not complaining about. They defined the basis of her character very well, but it's a, ch- it's a problem we didn't 
uh, get to go too much deeper into it, unfortunately. But that is that's just the case of Resident Evil Six all round. I think. Yeah. I I really respect the fact that she doesn't take any of Jake's nonsense as well. Mm. You know, like when he when is it is it in the opening when he jumps down like the the shoot and she's just like after you like so sarcastically <laughs> and then um and then later on in the in the locker room scene she basically just chastises him for just having a bit of a whinge about his parents right, exactly about yeah. about Wesker sorry and you know and it's like he doesn't realize that he's talking to a girl who lost her parents at 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Jake in a sense didn't have that either, but she's like, you've just uh, elaborated on, she chooses to make her past and twist it into a positive. That's defined her now. Whereas he seems to kind of resent it. And it's, it's absolutely genius. And one of the things I love as well is something that Batman says is that this is the, the new best uh, Wesker and Birkin yeah. partnership. Crazy, of, isn't of it? Today. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I do like that. Obviously, they have to bring up her past in the game, but it's it's done so in a masterful way where it just kind of comes up organically. She doesn't make a big deal out of it. It's not the song and dance that uh, Jake has to go through as part of his story. Um, his not knowing who his father was, discovering it, and kind of struggling with that. Uh, as I say, there's an actual there's an actual arc with these two. Um, they spent a lot of that arc stalked yet again by a monster, though. I feel very bad for <laughs> Sherry. That's that's three monsters now that have chased her down relentlessly, unfortunately. And I do feel like her campaign ends with a bit of a damp squib as well, which it's a bit of a shame. The sort of like quick time event ending boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but uh, again, just you mean drinking problems. tea on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> that part's cool. That, that- that's classy. That's 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 classy. That is successful mission with a nice cup of tea. Good, save the world. <laughs> still in the same outfit as well. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, not that classy. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So that yeah, the end, the end, ending like what well, we would call that the post credit scene. Yeah, uh, that's nice. But the actual end of the campaign just sort of drops off, and then you get like a terrible pop song over the credits. But again, these are more just re six general problems. And like all yeah. of my list here of like issues is it's just stuff that it comes down. It's just RE6 stuff. Um and the other one as well is worth mentioning, I guess, is the 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 sexualization of her just like ugh uh the scene that you mentioned, Sean, is is great as a scene. It's just a shame that they had to have like her running around in a skimpy uh, doctors, you know, I don't know what, what you call that, the robe thing where she's been experimented on, but that's, you know, it's not a logical way. It's just done to make her a bit of meat for a little while, which is a real shame. And in Mercenaries, it's, she's got tight and skimpy schoolgirl outfits as well. Yeah. Ugh, gross. It, it, it's the fan service that the series up until that point had been pretty good at avoiding. Right. Mm-hmm. That's um, the problem is that we were not used to seeing it as well. And then you drop it on a character like Sherry, it just makes it way worse. It's, Resident Evil 6 does have that as, a, as an issue and it's something I hope they don't continue with too much and I don't think they are mm-hmm. with the way that they're like redressing costume, you know, characters nowadays and, and things like that So yeah, it was very strange to look back at it um, after follow, games that have followed on and, and haven't followed that trend it's definitely going to stand out in that way uh, unfortunate but yeah, it doesn't doesn't actually uh, impact it all that much, I guess. I think they even they even put that in one of the files as well. They they um I think one of the files in six is written by one of like the, a CD um, technician who wishes he was watching um, Sherry's cell instead of Jake's. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. Uh, 
Fair enough. Yeah, that's. Uh, he makes some sort. He makes some sort of comment. I seem to recall about how he's tired of looking at a half-naked guy. I wish I could trade with the guy doing Sherry's cell or something. <laughs> Jeez. <sighs> so it's Those are dark times. <clears throat> yeah, it is. But look, I mean, let's let's do let's do what Sherry would do and look, and look at the positives here. Um, yeah, exactly. It's incredible that they pulled this off after so many years, as well as Sean said. Um, it, it doesn't make sense for her to be in that role um, if you just say Sherry Burke and DSO agent. But they put it together really well. They put her character as part of that role as well. Uh, and as you alluded to, I really just hope that this isn't this isn't it um, and this is a future thing moving forward. I mean, I know the answers already, but let's go around the room. Steve, would you like to see Sherry back? Nah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Definitely. And Sean, you already said definitely. Yeah, she's she's the most wanted for you. I'd say um, Sherry shouldn't just be back. She should be handed the keys to the franchise for now. Um, it, one of Resident Evil 6's biggest failings is that it it was a perfect opportunity to retire our heroes. Mm. Um, not that not that I necessarily want that to happen, but like it was a perfect opportunity for the likes of Chris to step away now and have his arc completed. Uh, and and basically give it to these new characters give it to sherry give it to jake you know i don't like the stuff with jake in in terms of the fact that he's a a wesker child that shouldn't happen but i like him as a character and i like his interactions with sherry and she really does help define him by the end into the character that he is so i'd be all up for seeing those two back again you know even in in terms of a partnership or something but yeah i mean sherry sherry needs to come back because i mean you know She's 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 wonderful, guys. She's wonderful. <laughs> I think I yeah I completely agree. She's my most wanted return, and we we touched on that in our in our comebacks video. We got some stuff coming out about uh, RE6. We, the, I won't spoil too much. There's some videos coming out talking about sort of some things with RE6 with some issues that probably should have been resolved. And you just mentioned one of them, retiring characters, um, and and I want to do one on sort of who should be the flag bearers moving forward. And obviously Sherry's a big part of that. She's my most wanted character for the reasons that you mentioned. You know, she represents this total through line of the entire series history. Um, she's got that. She's, she's a legacy character in the same way that Chris and Jill are and Leon and Claire. Um, but she also, she represents the future because she started out as uh, as this young child who's, who's grown with us um, as we've played the games, even if there was years and years of, of absence. Uh, seeing her come back all grown up, fantastic. Um, and we have, we didn't really talk about it too much, but as much as the series has done some seriously sci-fi concepts over the years, you know, cloning and stuff like that, which has turned certain people off. Hello, Sherwin. Uh, I actually think that uh, Sherry's infection and her healing is actually really well justified, and it makes her interesting moving forward. It's not too... It, it is wacky as a concept, but uh, it makes sense when you look at, you know, what the G-Virus actually does. So it'll be interesting to see how they could handle that in future games starring Sherry. So that, for me, makes her the most interesting character uh, for the possible future. Yeah, I mean, she is the she's the closest character what you to what you would have as a perfect G human, but she's not immortal as such. Like she 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 does basically allude to the fact that if if Jake hadn't have pulled that um, piece of the propeller out of her that she would have bled out to death. You know, she would have died from that, but because obviously it's removed, she's able to heal. Um, so that actually gives her an interesting dynamic that you could even work into a gameplay in a future title. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. 
Um, so, before we close out, um, I did ask favourite portrayals. Um, I actually asked our Discord server in a poll uh, which version of Sherry Birkin was everyone's favourite. You know, we got a few votes here and there, but uh, pretty much everybody went Resident Evil 6. So it's fair to say that the vast majority of fans were very happy with how uh, they put Sherry together for this game and the way that she was portrayed by uh, Eden Rigel as well, or Regal, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, so, Steve, is this your, your favourite Sherry performance? If not, why not? <laughs> no, it, it, it is. It's, uh, it's surreal when you think about it that we're all like praising RE6. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, because everyone always puts it on a dumpster fire and then throws Leave a match. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, she she definitely is. And uh, just to echo what Star's Tower says, she needs, like, they can justify her mechanically as a game character with the whole regenerating health. And that, you know, she needs to come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, like, you know, with, with her leading up a game as well, they can give her one thing that RE6 didn't have, which, I mean, they threw everything else, they threw the kitchen sink at it, but they the only thing they didn't have was breathing room for the characters, which is what she would need. Um, mm. So so to have her in, in a less bloated game would be would be bliss. Uh, Stars, this is your favourite Sherry, is it not? It's not just my favourite Sherry, but it, it, she's become one of my favourite characters in the series, so... Uh... You know, for all the all the flaws I can level at Resident Evil Six, I will forever, you know, endear it, be endeared to it for giving me uh, the wonderful Sherry Birkin. So yeah, easily my favourite portrayal. Oh, what a, what a lovely positive note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors. If you'd like to be part of the show, then please look into auditioning for our file readings. One way to get in touch is to email us at fasprayprod at gmail.com. But of course, the best course of action is to join our Discord server, where you can discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. The link to the server is in the description of this podcast, and also on our social media profiles. You can find us on Twitter at fasprayprod, on Instagram at fasprayprod, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fasprayprod. Pod. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us an iTunes review if you can. It helps spread the word. You can also support the show at patreon.com forward slash FA Spray Pod for as little as $1 a month. Our next episode, Can You Believe It, will be our review of Resident Evil 3 Remake. We're now a month away from release and we'll do our best to get our thoughts to you on it as soon as possible. In the meantime, stay up to date with our socials because Steve and James will be doing a midnight stream of the game, just like they did with Remake 2, so that's very exciting indeed. And as I said at the top of the show, we have plenty more to tide you over before the game releases as well. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of us individually. I'm at Sinyak underscore 123. Steve is at Firebutton Games. And Sean is at stars underscore tyrant. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. Not to, to also feel like I'm bagging on Remake 2, but oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Damn. Ha! <laughs> Edit that bit. Magnifying glass, Sai. Magnifying yep. glass. Well, this. Uh, um, oh, what the hell was it? It's gone now. It, just, it was there and then it was gone. Um, flip. That's an outtake, everybody. Yeah, it's welcome to the outtakes. My brain just went. Sai's <laughs> <laughs> um, breaking down. Right, I'm gone. I've lost it. What were we talking about? We make two. Something about it. I don't know. <laughs>
<laughs> Never mind. Right, let's find a jumping on point. It's gone. It's gone forever. I'll remember it tomorrow and I'll shout it in the street or something stupid.